Welcome to the Everything Medical Wellness Podcast. Today, we are pleased to have John Dowdett, Assistant Vice President of Operational Support for HealthFlex Associates. Join us as John shares his expertise on engaging members in customer service in the medical wellness industry. Welcome to our latest edition of Everything Medical Wellness. We are pleased today to have the guests that we have. But first, let me do introductions of our team. Uh, my name is Don Doyle. I'm a senior vice president with HealthFlex Associates. And our other co-host is Ryan Barr, and he's a vice president with the company also, um, and mainly in operations. And he has um, a real skill set in the population health effort. So he has sort of been our guide for that. But our guest today is one of our own. It's John Douthit, who has been with HealthPlex for what, John, 12 plus years? 12 and a half years. 12 and a half years. And we have identified John, um, you'll hear about his unique background, but we have identified him as our um, expert in customer and member service. Um, a lot of what we have implemented in our facilities um, came right from John's background and training that he has shared with all of our teams. And we actually do it as accreditation now. So let me get started by, John, I'm going to let you do a self-introduction because I think your background is really cool how you landed in uh, medical wellness. So why don't you take us back to, you know, your start of your professional career and um, your passion for member and customer service? Yeah, you know, honestly, I didn't really know I had a passion for member and customer service until <laughs> until I entered the industry back in um, 1992. I worked for the sports club at the Four Seasons in Las Colinas, which is a suburb of Dallas. And uh, it was originally a standalone health club with golf and tennis and fitness. And, and the Four Seasons Hotel built prior to my arrival. And I was hired as a, as a fitness instructor. And the first two weeks on the job, I spent in a classroom train, training how to treat your, your customer. And, of course, it being a, a hospitality hotel company, I was sitting there thinking, how, you know, how does this apply to fitness? And, but the more I listened, I realized it applies to everything that we do. And it just kind of stood out with me. And, you know, back then we were a $1,500 initiation being $175 a month for a fitness center in the Dallas market. And, and really the way they set themselves apart was, was service and just paying attention to detail, whether it's how you greet somebody when they enter the facility to what the facility looks like and feels like. So anyway, I, I jumped in and, and kind of started building my career there, worked my way up. I was a spa director and a fitness director and and then had an opportunity to, to really transition to what I thought was a medical wellness position with the Baylor Tom Landry Center in Dallas, and because uh, it was on a hospital campus. And believe it or not, it was really not highly integrated, um, the medical side, but a lot of opportunity. But the person I followed there eventually moved down to Houston to the Houstonian. And I said I would never live in Houston. And four months later, I was his assistant GM. <laughs> At the, at the Houstonian, again, a, a high-end service-driven um, service club, and uh, they were looking to expand their offering. And, and at that time, the economy stagnated, and they decided not to grow. And the general manager who had been worked with for 12 years kind of said, you know, we brought you down here thinking you'd become a general manager as we grew the company, but since we stagnated, if you want to look outside, I certainly understand that. And 
I actually stumbled upon HealthFlex in an industry magazine, and um, they were building the facility here, actually here, and the one that Ryan manages in Pascagoula, and I interviewed, and um, I remember flying to Jackson, Jacksonville, Florida, interview with Steve Robbins, our president, and he said, you know, my, my goal is, he said, you would be the first general manager that didn't come strictly from a medical wellness background. And he said, I think HealthPlex has always been really good at the clinical aspect of what we do, but clinical can be cold sometimes and we we lose that kind of personal touch. And he said, once we get your facility up and running and things are running as they should, I would like you to develop um, a service training program for, for our facilities that we could roll out and really increase that. Because as you mentioned, uh, as we were talking about earlier, we tend to be either the price leader or close to it in each of our markets. And so it's a way that we can differentiate ourselves. So really through that, um, you know, I, I had, when I was at Baylor, they, it was a huge hospital at the time, 16,000 employees on their singular campus in downtown Dallas. And they had a program called the customer and they were wanting to, um, they wanted all employees to go through it. And they had one person facilitating and she was like, uh, how am I going to do this? So after each session, she would ask a few people if they would like to become facilitators. And I went through that training. So I've developed what we do with HealthPlex a little bit from a lot from my experience with the Four Seasons, because it's just to me, I guess, walking into the industry that became the norm. And I quickly realized when I went other places, it, was, it wasn't the norm. Um and then, you know, I've incorporated that with this customer program that we'd used at Baylor and created our own so that we could um, start addressing the, the member service issue in our facilities. And that, you know, helps with retention, helps with <laughs> member engagement, it helps attract members. Um, you know, I started in the industry back before cell phones were were common and the internet was common and you know somebody had a bad experience the history said they would tell about 20 of their friends but now you have you know a couple hundred or or more friends on facebook or social media and as soon as something bad happens you're posting about the terrible time you had and and it can really make or break a business so um it's been fun and i think you know i think there's some misnomers to service and I don't like the term customer service because I think it's it's just been um, watered down over the years. So anyway, that's kind of how we got to where we are today and built this program and and um, take it out to our other facilities. That's cool how you got into you know our industry. I love hearing those kind of stories about how um, you know diverse, diverse backgrounds can can land in medical wellness as long as we have that you know vision of trying to help facilitate people either, you know, coming from public into communication and, um, you know, community education programming in our health centers. Um, how would you, you know, define or, you know, identify what member service is and why and how it's important in our industry? Well, I think it, it, you boil it down to the simple term. It's just how you treat people that walk in your door whether it be a member, a prospective member, um, a member that's decided to leave your facility for one reason or another, if you leave them with a good feeling and something happens, you know, you never know, they may come back. So to me, in simple terms, it's how you treat people. And I think, 
you know, from my background, I thought, wow, you know, back then the four seasons in 1992 was probably the second most expensive hotel in the Dallas market. And they were striving for a $200 a night room rate back then. Um, I think there's some lower end ones that are close to that now. Now they're probably, you know, $500. Um, and, you know, their finish outs were nice. The, the service they provided was nice. The amenities they had. But then I was, you know, I took a trip. And my family's from Arkansas. There are not many Four Seasons in Arkansas. I love the state. But we went to a family reunion in Batesville, Arkansas, and the best hotel was a Super 8. And I remember checking in, and my mom was like, uh, sorry, this isn't a Four Seasons. And I was like, it's okay. And I just remember the man there that checked us in, did everything perfect. He greeted us. Um, he pronounced our last name, which can be difficult. Um, he was expecting us. The rooms were clean. And I thought that to me showed a, a, you know, a polar opposite different in that industry, but he got it. And it was just how he treated you and welcomed you. So I've always thought applying that, you know, in a health club, it's very different. Um, and I think the struggle, the one struggle we had at the Four Seasons was they would hire an outside company to come in and, and shop us. And I'm I think they were they were mic'd up and because we get reports with verbatim conversations and the standard there was to greet everybody with a Mr. or Mrs. And that wasn't always the case in the health club because we had private memberships and, you know, you had Don Doyle who came in twice a day or three times a week. And when you first met him, it was, you know, it's great to have you as a new member, Mr. Doyle. What do you like to do? And he would say, well, I'm a runner and, and a bodybuilder. And you know whatever it may be, you got that and, right. Uh, and then after you see Mr. Doyle three or four times, and he gets to know you, he's like, "Hey, John, I'm Don." You know, so they would come in and and hear us talking to people by first name, and they would mark us down a little bit. So to me, service doesn't have to be so formal. You just have to know who you're dealing with. And and in in our industry, because you do see people a lot, it becomes very personal, and you do learn a lot about people. I've always said. Personal trainers, for instance, I always call them the bartenders of the fitness industry because their clients tell them everything and you learn everything. <clears throat> you know, anniversaries, you know, kids' birthdays, you know, if somebody's getting married tomorrow, you know, if um, they've got whatever, whatever's going on in their family. A lot of times they end up inviting you to those things and you become friends and you have to really bridge that, you know, personal professional gap there. But you do. It's just a different type of relationship. And when you get to know people and can anticipate what they are wanting to do when they come to your facility and when you're prepared for them and when you greet them in a personal manner. Um, it changes the whole aspect. It, it's it changes it from a member's relationship with a facility to all of a sudden it's their club and you build a relationship and. And we've always said, you know, it's difficult to to uh, it's easy to leave a facility, but difficult to leave a relationship. So I always stress building relationships with our members, whether it's, you know, somebody young that is a competitive triathlete and they're using multiple parts of our, our facility to, to somebody that walked over from cardiac rehab and it's had a life changing event and they need hand holding and they need to know that they can trust you. And you have to build that relationship and it, it does become built on trust and, and so forth. So to me, that's, that's really where you differentiate, 
differentiate yourself um, from the competition, you know, and, and we've all experienced the the advent of the kind of boutique clubs that have come into our markets or the $10 a month and they really want to sell as many as they can and they hope you don't show up because they can't service that many members, but their model is built on volume. And um, in fact, with Ryan, I remember they a $10 a, a month club opened across the street and Ryan was a little bit in a panic. And my, my message to bit. Ryan was keep doing what you're doing, you know, and um, and if they leave, they'll probably come back. And, and an example of that, when we opened in 2010 in Odessa, Texas, our closest competitor was $24 a month less expensive than us. And of course, the question a lot of people that we were talking to was, why are you more expensive? And I first, the first thing I stressed was the education of our staff. And number two was the service. Service, cleanliness, maintenance of equipment, all those things roll into your member service. They want to, they want to come in. You know, my staff thinks I'm crazy because I have a chart of where every weight plate should go and, and where they should be on each piece of equipment. And it should be maintained throughout the day. Otherwise, the only people that benefit are, are the guys that walk in first thing in the morning. And, um, you know, over time, we've had the $10 a month. We had a competitor come in that was locally owned and, you know, their marketing kick was we're, we're less expensive than Mission Fitness. They were $5 a month less, but they charged a capital fee once a year. And they were really about the same. And we had a lot of people leave. And when they left, they said, you know, we're going to go try out this place. And a couple of months later, every time we've had somebody open and people leave, about our average is about 70 to 75% come back. And it's always service, cleanliness, maintenance of equipment, engagement of, of our employees with them as a member, and really taking to heart what they're trying to accomplish instead of a kind of a one-size-fits-all, just coming and work out and, you know, we'll keep the lights on for you. Well, in true uh, John Douthat fashion, he answered most of our questions all in one sentence there, but uh, we do have a few <laughs> more for you, John. <laughs> Um, we'll make some up. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. Um, I know you've been a presenter at industry conferences um, throughout the country. You've, you've, you've spoken at the HealthPlex Associates Conference every year. And it, every year you speak, you add more and more to your, to, your, um, to your presentation. But what do you try to accomplish with your member services training program? You've gotten it, – it's been – added on to every year and more and more. So that's something we look forward to as a company every year. But what do you what do you hope to accomplish with that when through that training program? Well, you know, when we started the program, we looked at it as all employees. Management staff didn't matter. And my idea was really to get the, the team members to think about how they could impact service. You know, a lot of times the person may be working in childcare who's kind of off to the side, they're not the, the main area of the facility, doesn't see themselves impacting, you know, what our members experience is. Um, and I and so I really tried to build it from the individual up and get them to think about, uh, number one, yes, I use examples from the Four Seasons and I use examples from the Houstonian. And hey, John, also, you talk about the, excuse me, I'm sorry, you talk about the Houstonian and the Four Seasons, but let let our audience know, you said you, you kind of went over quickly that they were high-end facilities, but give me some examples. You've told me some numbers in the past that I 
when you've told me high end before, but I didn't realize what high end <laughs> well, meant. <laughs> the four seasons in 1992, we had three levels of membership. We had a golf membership, which was all encompassing, included tennis and fitness. And um, honestly, I don't, when I started, I don't know what the initiation fee there was. I know right before I left, in the late nineties and went to Baylor, they sold their first $30,000 corporate golf membership. Um, then they had a tennis membership that gave them access to tennis, gave them a couple rounds of golf a month as a, you know, a teaser to try to bump them up. And then it gave them access to fitness. And I, I think it was about $6,000 for an initiation fee for an individual. Now going, right. when I said 30,000 corporate, that was, that gave a company could come in and buy spots for five of their, you know, officers or whatever. And then a fitness membership in 1992 was $175 initiation fee. And I'm sorry, $1,500 initiation fee and $175 a month for an individual, which was crazy to me at that time. Um, The Houstonian on on kind of the, the flip end of that, the year I left in 2005, we did a standalone club did $31 million in revenue. It's been there for 25 years. Um, there's a lot of um, the Bushes were members and some pro- professional athletes. And in, and right now they're on a wait list, um, as I understand it, to join. You pay half your initiation fee. It's not refundable. So, you know, they had a membership. The, the resident membership was $23,000, I believe. So you paid half of that down and my company transferred me. I don't get that money back. And, and they have um, over 12,000 memberships. And with the Houstonian, for example, um, less than a mile away was uh, one of the lower end, really common chains that charged about $40 a month. And we would always say, you know, we don't have a secret line of equipment, <laughs> you know. So we have to, you know, part of it was you had a, you have a segment of your population that wanted to be part of that club for the name and for who they could rub shoulders with, but you still had to service them and you had to think outside the box. Um, so when we were looking at the resident membership, we thought, how do we, and we had an associate membership that was about $5,000 less initiation and a little bit less a monthly. So we started thinking there wasn't a big different differentiation in those two. So what do we do? So we created a concierge for the resident members so when, you know, Ryan Barr and his wife joined, we got down to your birth dates and your anniversaries. And about a month before your anniversary, you'd get receive a phone call and say, Mr. Barr, would you like us to make reservations somewhere for you and your wife for your anniversary? We notice it's going to be your 10th. Could we order flowers? We took everything out of their hands. Um, we thought about what took members away from coming to the facility. And it was just basic, you know, running basic errands. So we had a parking garage and we gave a corner of the parking garage to a car detail company and he paid us a flat fee and he detailed cars while they worked out. Or we did a dry cleaning service where the members could sign up with a dry cleaner. They were given a bag and a, and a ticket. They wrote out everything they wanted, dropped their bags at the front desk. When they came in to work out three days later, that company was delivering it back to their home or to their office. Um, so it was things to make the trip there easier. So that's, you know, it was extremely high end, a lot of money and crazy. And um, but it was fun because it was a challenge and um, it was a challenge every year to come up with something a little bit different because we always said, you know, 
when you exceed somebody's expectations and they go, wow. And if you do that after about two years, that becomes the expectation. Yeah, so John, gotta, I was going to, I was going to like interject. I know, you know, uh, wellness centers are owned by hospitals or affiliated with hospitals or foundations. So a lot of times that comes with the expectation of cleanliness, professionalism, um, equipment selection, state of the art kind of stuff. So, you know, the challenge for us is to find value outside of those expectations. So can you give examples? I always, um, you know, I always say on the fitness end, when you have a captive audience that your personal training or group exercise instructors in front of somebody, you know, you have opportunities for, you know, a long period of time to create value and to show your, you know, skills, not only on the you know fitness or education side, but on the customer service side. But I think where, you know, we try to create value is on those other little opportunities we get. When you're entering into the aquatic areas and the lifeguard makes, you know, eye contact or at the front desk when your, you know, professionalism of, you know, if it's the dress code to utilizing their name. So, you know, can you share some of your experiences with your training of, you know, how you get those people engaged? The our yeah, people we um we incorporate we we always talk about service always involves the five senses we always think of it it's it's kind of sight and you know we we get in the habit i always ask new employees what did you see when you walked in because we see it every day and, you know it's kind of like watching our kids grow up um you might see my kids once or twice a year and i see them every day and i they're just you know my kids and you go, wow, that kid's going a foot and we don't see those little changes. So um, we always tell them first thing is what does it look like? Where does service start? And I've always said it starts when you step out of your vehicle in the parking lot and you have your uniform on. You better be, you know, we have a standard of um, shirts, depending on your position, shirts should be tucked in, but, you know, wrinkle free. And we tell them, you know, this kind of shorts, or if you work in the front desk, this kind of pants you can wear, And you should have your name tag on as you walk out of the car because the member leaving the facility, you're you're already on the job, whether you clocked in or not. And then what do you see when you walk up? You know, in West Texas, the wind blows all the time and we get trash from towns 200 miles away and it's crazy. And so, you know, I'm always walking in, picking up things. And so you have the what does it look like? What is it when they walk in? Um, What does the front desk look like from the customer side? from the member side. We always sit looking out at them, but what are they seeing when they're looking across the corner? Is there a, you know, did you clean out a, a member's permanent locker who terminated and they haven't had a chance to come and pick up their items yet? And you've got it in a trash bag tucked under the counter and that's what they see. Um, so we try to, to clean that up. Um, then really when you work work the floor, we, we had a map of our um, equipment and so if somebody was working the floor, they would make note of what people were on what pieces of equipment. And they would say, you know what, I need to go. I need to go check towels or whatever it may be. And so we would always tell them, walk the floor, see if anybody needs anything and tell them, I'm going to be off the floor for about five minutes. I'll check with you when I come back. So then they had this chart. They could see, well, that that treadmill was empty when I left the floor. There's somebody new. I need to go introduce myself to them. And you take that off because what 
what I quickly realized the difference in medical fitness was our age demographic and their um, experience in a health club. Most of them never set foot in a health club. They um, they're right about 50 years old and not all, but a lot are there because their doctor told them to, they have a health concern and they're not sure what to do. And so there's this apprehension you know, they think they're going to walk into to Muscle Beach or whatever it may be, and that can be very intimidating. So we try to take that intimidation away um, and have a friendly face. And Don, as you mentioned, you know, maybe in the pool, you know, as the lifeguard comes on, they walk up and they just say hello to everybody and and uh, check with them and see how they're doing. You know, typically if you're a lifeguard, you see some guy swimming laps every day and you find out, wow, are you a triathlete or is this just your workout? What's your goal? Then we find out what their goal is. Maybe we have a trainer on staff. I did, who was a collegiate swimmer that could help them with a the stroke technique. So it kind of goes back and forth. It can create revenue for you as a club, but it also helps the members see you're taking really personal account in what they're doing and helping them achieve their goals, as opposed to, you know, $0.99, 99 cents down and $10 a month, and they go, there it is, go have at it, and they don't even know where to start. So we really we really try to take our, our new members by the hand, especially those that are apprehensive, understand where they're coming from, why they're there, and what they want to accomplish, and then we can build things around that for them. I know you're going to be coming to my club here in a few months, actually. Um, you come to all the Health Plex Associates clubs, and you are able to meet with the staff of each facility. Um, and as, ta- as staff turns over, we like to get you out more and more because we um, really get a lot um, from your presentation and from from your talks on guest relations. I know I, it, it's great for me to have my staff listen to somebody else um, talk about things that maybe I've told them in the past, but they're kind of bored with me a little bit. <laughs> some of yeah. my staff, some of my staff listen to me. Some of them, you know, they they know me a little more. So it's nice to, for them to hear it from somebody else that's experienced it and your and your talks are so impactful when when they when they understand that it's not just my club or our club that's experienced the in these experiencing these these day-to-day activities when they hear oh it's happening in other places it's happening in other states the same thing is happening so that's a great um, perspective for for different staffs to hear and to listen to when you go to these clubs um, I know that you you have a very specific agenda and you want to be able to get your point across in many different areas. But is there one or two things that are you seem that to you feel like the most important things to make sure that that club's staff understands about guest relations? I, I think, number one, you know what? What I realized after we started was we needed a manager's component to this um, because I want, you know, even when I was with those bigger facilities, we would bring in an outside speaker and everybody gets fired up and then they leave. And two weeks later, you're back to what you were doing before they came and you spent however much money to have that person come and speak and it kind of lost its impact. So number one, you have to, to we, we built the management part really to help the them understand that it's impactful to your employees if they see you doing what you're asking and and um you know so i built a component you don't know what you're walking in everybody looks great in in a in an interview and can make a resume look great and then you start seeing day to day and you see strengths and weaknesses in your people so we built a component about 
you know, why people are the way they are and how you can build upon that. And then number two was um, just really, we have to walk that walk every day. And if I'm going to tell my employee, you know, you've got to go clean this locker room and here's my expectation, I better be willing to go in there and get my hands dirty and show them that as well. Um, the, the, but the big thing that I've really run into is, you know, we have a lot of kids coming out of college and they're in their early 20s or if you were me coming out of college, maybe mid to late 20s. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and you're putting them in a room to do a health risk assessment with somebody who is their parents age. And I, Ryan, in fact, last time I was in your shop, you had a trainer and I role played with her because at the time, well, I'm, I was 48 years old. She was. 21. And I said, okay, you're walking in. I'm, and we made up this scenario that I was some big time lawyer in your community and everybody knew who I was. And she walked in and saw my name on her schedule for doing a health risk assessment. I said, what's the first thing you feel? And she said, I'm nervous. And I said, why? And she said, well, you're kind of famous in the community and, uh, and you're my mom and dad's age. And so that, you know, they've grown up or at least I did, where I had to call on my mom and dad's name, Mr. and Mrs. whatever, and it was just a different relationship. And all of a sudden, you come out of college, and you have to understand, you're now a professional. You're trained to provide information to these people, to coach these people, and they're looking at you in that, um, and you've got to get over this age demographic. You have to build yourself as the professional and understand that, um, in fact, in that scenario, I laughed. I said, you know, men and women, how we process coming to a gym is very different. In fact, we role played and she asked the question, have you worked out before? And I said, yeah, I played football in high school. And she said, OK. And she went to the next question. And I said, well, wait a minute. I said, I'm 48 years old. How old are we when we graduate high school? And she said, well, 18. And I said, OK, how long ago was that? She said, 30 years. I said, as a man, typically, I'm never going to admit that I don't work out to a female trainer because my ego gets in the way. But I just told you indirectly, I haven't done anything for 30 years. And what I did 30 years ago is obsolete and nobody taught me how to do it correctly. And so you have to pick up on this. And I said that on the flip side, and again, I was being very general, but I said, ladies tend to be, they shy away from maybe strength training because they don't want to get big. And there's a lot of misinformation. So the first thing I always do is we have a lot of young, younger professionals working in our industry. They need to be comfortable in how they communicate with the member and understand that the member is looking at them for professional advice. So we really have to build that up. They have to have to really understand that. And I, I think that's the, the number one thing. They don't know how to engage. And, you know, I watch my kids grow up with a cell phone in their hand and they're they're they think they're having a meaningful conversation if they're responding to a text within two minutes. And I'm like, y'all need to sit that down and, and talk face to face. So we, you know, we've lost a little bit of that communication, those skills. And so we want to build those skills back up with the staff and, and understand body language. What does body language mean? I do a little segment in there where we talk about when you speak to people, 7% of what they take from that is what you say. The other 93% is your tone of voice and your body language. And so what are you quietly communicating and how do we address that? That's huge too. Um, but, you know, I think it's funny because it's very different from facility to facility, wherever you may be. 
uh, your Brian, your facility's in a smaller community. Mine's we're we're a smaller community, kind of tucked away out in West Texas. It's a bigger town with a small town feel. Everybody knows everybody, and it's it's a little more personal. Then we have a club in the Bronx, New York, and one in LA, and one in the Silicon Valley area, which you know that's a totally different demographic. And what works here might not work there. So you have to understand the you know where you are and what works. And you know then we have Thomaston, Georgia, with 15,000 people in the community. And I walked in there the first time and a man looked me up and down and said, boy, you need to go check in. You're not from around here. And I just started laughing because it was, you know, that's true of there. That's just the way it is where they are. So you have to take that into account as well. Yeah, John, that's great information. I, um, boy, we really appreciate you spending the time with us. And I'm going to share, you know, a story that um, you shared with my team early on in your training, um, we were reading some of our, you know, member notes, member notes to our staff and emails that we get as managers. And I had a girl at the front desk who was in tears that John and I told her that we were reading a note from a member who was coming for a clinical programming. She was coming to our Parkinson's wellness recovery program. And it's so easy to say, boy, this instructor really you know, challenged me and, and you know, made me accountable and kept me going and kept it fun. But this, <clears throat> this gentleman said, boy, when I came in there, I wasn't so sure. And the girl at the front desk made me comfortable. And that's what got me into the wellness recovery program, the Parkinson's wellness recovery program. Had nothing to do with the class development or you know, the agenda for the you know, disease progression, it was a person that made them feel comfortable in that setting. And that's, you know, how they attributed their success and their compliance to the program. So, boy, it doesn't fall on deaf ears when you say that, you know, we all have opportunities to be impactful to members. And we, you know, we say that what price is what you pay, value is what you get kind of thing. So, trying to create value through staff engagement, member engagement, communication efforts, I think is something that we all took away from your sessions, John. So, we um, really appreciate you being with us today. And um, any parting words for us? Yeah, let, let me just leave with one thing. And, and um, I said earlier, I think people think service, they, they get fearful of it because they think oh, it's going to cost us a bunch of money. And one of my favorite service stories ever was back, it was probably 1994, I was at the Four Seasons, and every morning at 8.30, we had an operations meeting, and they talked about who was arriving at the hotel, who was departing. Didn't have a lot to do with the club, but as the fitness director at the time, I had to be there. And they were they were big in empowering their employees and to to really pay attention. So we had a lady there that had been the room service order taker for 20 years. Didn't aspire to do anything else. She loved her job. She sat in a little office and she took room service orders. And back then, um, John Madden was still calling football games and and they had got the contract. So when they came in to cover uh, the the local team, the Dallas Cowboys, as you know, Don's a big fan of as well, being in <laughs> Pittsburgh. Um, John Madden comes and she, and over on our, our sheet, we were going through it said, you know, VIP arrivals, John Madden over in the margin, it says likes Tabasco sauce. She had noted every time he made a room service order, he ordered Tabasco sauce. So at the end of the meeting, the resort manager had one of the bellmen go up the street to the grocery store and bought one of the biggest bottles of Tabasco, 
five or six dollars, put a bow on it and left a handwritten note in his room. Welcome back, Mr. Madden. Hope your stays hot and spicy. I don't know. Um, but, you know, personalized the note, handwritten, signed it, said, I hope you have a great stay. He walked around the hotel with that bottle of Tabasco, could not figure out how they knew that. But you know what? A five dollar bottle of Tabasco bought them a customer for life. And mm-hmm. and too many times we worry about the initial cost and we don't think about the long term. And I've got a million stories where, you know, it, it went that, you know, you can do other things as well. But that always stood out to me. A five dollar bottle made that man go, you know what, I'm gonna stay at that hotel. I don't care what it cost because they paid attention. And all it was was empowering an employee to listen and realize every time he ordered food, he wanted Tabasco sauce. So, you know, service is that simple. It's just really paying attention and treating people that want to be treated. And I always tell my staff, act like you're you're bringing them into your home. So I hope well, great that's, story. that's good stuff. So. Great story. Thank you. Definitely. So, um, again, we appreciate your time and, um, you know, helping us educate the um, the listeners, because I think you, know, you have such a unique um, approach to customer service where, you know, it's really a program that you do, but it seems simple. So uh, thank you for doing that for us. And um, from Ryan Barr and Don Doyle, we appreciate you guys taking the time to jump on Everything Medical Wellness, sponsored by HealthPlex Associates. Thank you. Thank you to our guest, John Doubtit, for joining us today. If you would like more information on engaging members in customer service, please visit our website at healthplexassociates.podbean.com. Mm-hmm.